With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. I had this experience early on where I would sort of say things offhandedly, and people would react and act on them. Is that because things come from the top down, and if you're anxious, then employees will be anxious? Yeah, your anxiety as the CEO of the company is just more powerful. It has bigger ripples. A big part of my job now is I've just started writing these quarterly emails. Like, hey, everyone, here's what's happening. I would notice that people would start to get anxious every couple of months. They're worried. Absence of information, people fill in a story. So I've had to become more intentional. Are you hiring? I'm constantly in a state of looking for the best possible talent. But let me tell you something. Do you know where to post your job to find the absolute best candidates? I'm going to tell you. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, I'm here with Alex Blumberg, your head of Gimlet Media. How's it going? Welcome to the show again. <laughs> well, thanks. It's really great to be here. Last time you were on was like three years ago or two and a half years ago, something yeah, like that. Yeah. You, you did this massive reinvention in your life. You were a superstar on Planet Money and all these NPR shows. You were a big radio guy. I think you probably thought you were going to be in radio for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then you were like, oh no, podcasting is booming. I'm going to start one of the very first podcast production companies. You did this amazing podcast called Startup, which described your own angst as you went through the startup process. I binge listened to that podcast. That's why I had to have you on initially. Uh, yeah, I remember that. When we first did it, I think I was talking to you from our old office, which was like in this crazy startup accelerator spot that we built ourselves. It sort of smelled like industrial glue because we'd used industrial glue to soundproof it. And, I and could now never... I'm in like this yeah. empire. Like you've <laughs> well. got like this media <laughs> empire I'm sitting in. It's a, uh, it's yeah. We've upgraded the studios. We have now we have like actual real live studios that we bought from a company that makes studios for a living. But um, uh, how's it going? It's going fine. By the way, I'm going to ask deeper questions. Yeah, on yeah How's yeah. it going? But like no. just in general today, how are you feeling? So there's two answers. One is. Um, 
I'm still basically as anxious and nervous as I was at the very beginning because even though you have you know, lots of success, every new phase, the worries change and morph and you learn one thing and then there's three other things that you don't know how to do that you have to figure out how to do. So, so if anything, I'm like actually more, I think I had this sort of the beginner, like you don't even know how hard the thing that you're thinking about doing is actually to do um, in the beginning. And that's, that's kind yeah. of an important quality of, of A, mastering something new and B, reinventing yourself. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say I spend 20 years uh, you know, loving music and loving the guitar. And I just love it. And I understand all the subtleties of all the greatest guitar players in history. And now I'm going to take lessons. Well, the first time I take lessons, I very much know the difference between my own playing yeah. and Jimi Hendrix. Like yeah. I can see the difference. because, And even at a deeper level than most, because I, I loved it so much for so many years, I see the subtleties. And so when you're first beginning something, you basically have to be kind of almost mentally ill to say, okay, I'm going to start something where I'm going to definitely suck at it for right. a long time, but I, I love this so much, the idea of this so much, I'm going to try anyway. I think that definitely happens. I think my case was a little bit different. Oh, uh, but, by the way, but, I, I'm yeah. stealing that concept from your ex-boss, <laughs> Ira Glass. He calls it the gap. Uh, yeah, right. I didn't know it was going to be hard. Like, I thought, like, okay, so I know how to do the hard thing, which is sort of like making the podcasts or whatever. And starting a company, how hard could that be? You know? Oh, my God. I mean, not really. I mean, I knew it was going to be hard. But there was something I didn't know exactly all the ways in which it would be hard and all the challenges that I would be facing. And, um, you know, just sort of like, uh, there's just... Th that was the thing that was like surprising. And so you get into it and you're like, oh my God, this is hard and this is hard and this is hard and people and managing people and culture and how do you get the culture right? And like having to let people go for the first time and all these other things that sort of happen as you're building a company, it's like shocking and weird. And, um, but, and, and, so and like, by the way, yeah. it never ends. It never, like, and it never so, ends, yes. So I've run companies from startup to almost a billion in revenues or helped run companies to that, that size. But the very first time I left my full-time safe media job, I worked for HBO, to do my first company, the very first day I was full-time at, at, at my company. I, I'd been starting on the side for uh, almost a year or more, uh -huh. and then I left to do it full-time because we finally were big enough. And the first day we lost a big client, and I was like, damn, I just made the worst decision of my life and I can't go back on it. I I, I cried the first day. It yeah. was so miserable. And by the way, I cried yesterday, <laughs> 20 years later, because yeah. it never ends. Yeah. The, the, the pain of, of being responsible for everything around you, it never ends. Yeah, yeah. And that's the sort of thing that has been dawning on me. It's like you're tending a garden. And if a garden needs water, then a company needs anxiety. Well, <laughs> of the leader, yeah. I mean, you need to be you need to be feeling these anxious feelings so that you know, okay, where 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 are the trouble spots that I can tend to? Right, like like yeah. an entrepreneur is not, you know, I think as humans or not as humans, I think in in kind of modern America, modern self help driven America, we're sort of trained to think that we need to always be on a path of rising happiness. Mm -hmm. But in, actually, in order to succeed you need to kind of have those moments where, uh-oh, I just hit a stumbling block. Things are feeling bad inside of me now, and I have to figure out how to get back up. Like, that has to happen yeah. by definition. Yeah, which is a bummer. 
Because like yes. it's like it sucks when that happens. Like it sucks to feel scared and anxious and like like you don't know what's happening. And like the trick is part of like sort of like recognizing that like okay, this is a sucky feeling right now, but like that's the feeling, and then there's nothing to do about it but try to fix it. You know, that's the only that's the only way forward is to try to fix it. So, so I, yeah. I wanna I wanna reel back in time, but I also wanna unpack what you just said is kind of to recognize when you're having a sucky feeling and saying, okay, that's the sucky feeling, and now how do I get around it? I feel like that's almost like a post-therapy thing to say. <laughs> like, this ability to kind of recognize a sucky feeling that you're supposed to feel, like, that's not an easy thing to do. It's Most not, of the time, yeah. people are just like, oh, I feel sucky. They don't say, okay, well, that's the I'm sucky I'm going to react feeling. to the feeling. I'm going to, like, the feeling is telling me to do something, and I'm going to react in this way, and, like, or I'm going to, like, the feeling is going to propel me to do something that I shouldn't be doing, rather like, to shut it down or to, like, try to escape it or, like, to do something else. Like, the feeling can send you off in the wrong direction. And, and as long as you're just sort of recognizing the feeling for what it is, which is, like, a warning sign that something's not right and something needs to be fixed. But Well, like, let's not be yeah. abstract. Like, when's the last time you felt that? Like, not the first... We, we've spoken last time about the first time. We'll even get to it again yeah. today. But when's the last time you felt that involving this company? Oh, just like I mean, all the time. Like every like, there's a team, you know, that's m making a podcast, and the team there's like there's like uh, unhappiness on the team. Like there's unhappiness with sort of like whatever. You know, I, I can't get into exact specifics, but like you know, let, let's say there's there's a, there's a, so all of our podcasts we're doing. We you know we have um, you know eight to ten podcasts that are sort of like in production or about to be in production at any given time some of them are seasonal some of them are sort of like one time things but anyway so we've got like all these different and then each podcast has like at least a couple people attached to making it and so these teams and the, and each podcast is sort of like its own little entity with inside gimlet right like so uh and like and it has its little it has the the thing that it's trying to be and it has a you know sort of a little mini culture that's creating that podcast um and that's all good you know that's like that's how podcasts differentiate themselves if they have like a, a voice and a vision attached to them they become something that cuts through in the world um what do you mean cuts through in the world like sorry to keep interrupting no no it's a, i i i mean i think what makes like i mean podcasts are now in the same boat everybody else is in sort of like there's massive amounts of choice and like how do you how do you stand out right and i think the way you stand out is like with like an authentic connection between sort of like the 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 person producing the podcast and and the material um that's one way and then obviously you need lots of other things that go along but like you have to have like a good match between like the hosts or the the team and the material. So, so yeah. okay. So you talked about you mentioned the words unhappiness and culture. Yeah. And those aren't often the first things brought up when people talk about what the problems in a in a business are as they're running it because there's other things like lack of sales and yeah, yeah. Uh, or we we didn't make the product well or you know uh, let's say those are the two most common. But I agree with you. I find when I'm talking to business partners. 90% of our conversations are about the psychology of people, whether yes. it's customers or employees or partners yeah. or shareholders or investors. It's about people don't realize how much of business is personal. Mm -hmm. You know, people say, oh, it's not business, you know, it's not personal, it's business. Business is personal first, yeah, yeah. and then it's product, and then it's, yeah. you know, sales and all of that. Yeah. So, so, so like, but, but you say, like, you know, um, you often have to deal with the unhappiness of of people or cultural or things. just dissatisfaction or confusion or sort of like the sense of 
you know, you know, like what are what are we trying to do with this podcast? Or let's say the numbers are like sort of like not where we want them to be. What do we do? How do we turn this? How do we turn this show around so that we, you know, that we can that either I can either I can get the numbers that we need to get, or how do we shut down the show because it's not performing the way we want to do it? And we've launched now a bunch of shows. We've shut down a couple of them um, because they haven't been able to reach the audience that we need them to reach to be sustainable and make a profit for us. Oh, oh my and God. So, I want to yeah. ask you about all of this. And of course, obviously, it's an area that interests me a lot. We're, we're on my podcast mm-hmm. after all. and uh, <laughs> But I want to reel back a little bit. You were... You were doing really well at, at Planet Money, a show that you started for NPR. Mm-hmm. You could have gone in a lot of different directions. A, you were at the arguably one of the best, you know, radio places to be in the world, NPR. You were doing a, a, a popular show about a popular topic. You were the guy. You could have potentially pitched it as a TV show. You could have pitched it as other into other outlets. You could have done books. You could have created a real name and brand for yourself. What made you decide to go this totally scary route? And I know it was scary because I listened to the first, you know, <laughs> yeah, episodes of Startup where you were talking about how scary it was. What made you decide to go into this route instead of build, you know, going a route that a lot of other kind of radio personalities go? Uh, I, well, I mean, to me, it was like a combination of things. One, it was it was sort of feeling like, well, it, it seems obvious that this is a route that this is something that needs to happen. Like it felt very clear from where I was sitting. It didn't. Like, the idea didn't feel risky. It felt like an idea that I was in a unique position to see, and so I just needed to act on. Why? Because, you know... I was just seeing it. I was seeing it all around. I was seeing it at Planet Money. I was seeing it at This American Life. You were seeing podcasting? I was seeing podcasting. I was working on a podcast that was just growing every year. The enthusiasm for it was growing every year. I was working at This American Life, which had been a you know a radio show, and then had like sort of like started very tentatively early on, like started releasing itself as a podcast, and had like five thousand listeners, and we had conversations about like why are we even doing this, and then slowly over time it grew, and then it grew into like hundreds of thousands, and then you know millions of listeners that were listening digitally, and I was just like it's obvious that like this was the change that was coming, and it was obvious that like there was that if you listen to This American Life once a week you might be ready to listen to something else that was like This American Life too. you know, on the other days of the week. You know, it just felt very clear that there was, there was like a, you know, there was a demand for this kind of content. But, but like, let's say, um, you know, you're, you're Steven Spielberg, David Geffen, and um, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and you're like thinking of launching DreamWorks, you know, two decades ago. Uh, you know, the movie business is a very hit-driven business mm-hmm. some movies most movies will fail and some will succeed and your business is valued on the faith of people thinking that the top people will will have more hits than losses at least enough hits to make money and i feel podcasts are that way as well mm-hmm. it's it's very much going to be hit driven you're going to have years where you have more hits than others what gave you the confidence to think that you could do this well i think we're i think i think because I think hit driven is harder in a in a in 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 when there's complete market saturation like there is in movies and TV and print. I don't think there's any we're anywhere close to complete market saturation in podcasting. How many people listen to podcasts now? It's something uh, I think it's like 60 million. Uh, that's pretty big. That's pretty big and it's growing like 20 20% a year. Uh, 60 million have listened in the last month and that's like a 20% increase over last year, but that's compared to the audience of radio listeners which is 280 million. Domestically, and I'm talking about in the United States, and these numbers might be off a little bit. But 280 like million people in the U.S. listen to radio. Yeah, who? Everybody. Every single dri- person who drives a car listens to radio at some point or another. So and am like, I skewed because I don't go to the gym and I don't drive a car? 
Like, does that kind of... Yes. Uh, automatically, people in New York are like, are like a little bit weird. And then if you happen to be a weird person in New York, which... I hope you take it as a compliment that I put you in that category. Then, then, then the, you know you're probably even skewing further away from the mainstream. I don't think. Would, did you ever have any illusions that you were part of the mainstream? Um, yes, because when, when I, <laughs> I'll tell you when. When I started a, a website design uh -huh. company, um, even though I was uh, went to graduate school for computer science mm -hmm. and I was very sophisticated on internet usage, always for me convenience is really important. Yeah. So if a design became too complicated or right. too much friction yeah everyone else would say oh you're not the regular person and i'm like no 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 i just want to hit a big yeah button. i am the regular person <laughs> yeah. right yeah so in no. that sense yes, yes. but in, uh, in every other way no yes 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 so and uh, but anyway so i think so i so to me the getting back to the history of business like it is but i feel like right now podcasting um feels like there's just like it's it's so it's protected in this way because right now if you're launching um, if you're launching, if I was launching a video service, or I was launching a TV channel, or if I was launching a, you know, a, a, a print, you know, property, a magazine, a magazine of some kind or another, like a digital magazine, like I'm competing with everything else that's out there that people use their eyes to consume, right? So that's that includes that that includes video, that includes YouTube, that includes games, that includes uh, Facebook and Twitter. It's all competing for the same time. Podcasting exists in a different sphere. It's it's like the one medium that you consume while you're not doing while while you're doing something else. So you can do it while you're commuting. You can do it while you're jogging. And in fact, a lot of people do that. You can do it while you're doing the dishes or cooking. And so a lot of people use it that way. And and in that sense, because because you can do it because it's the one thing that you consume on your phone, but with your phone in your pocket, uh, it's protected. You know, it's basically podcasts and music are sort of the only things that are sort of like competing with each other. And music's big. I mean, lots of people listen to music. But like compared to everything else that's going after your eyeballs, there's fewer things going after your ears. So uh, that, that's and, really interesting because yeah. sometimes I do listen to podcasts in lieu of, let's say, watching TV. Yeah. Um, but it is true that podcast is more of time that's devoted to the ear as opposed to time when you could be watching something or reading a book or reading tweets or whatever. Yeah. I very rarely, like with some podcasts, I will sit down and consume them like I consume a book. Like, you know, S-Town I did. Like I listened to it sort of instead of like reading a book or watching a TV show. But most of the time, I'm like, I put it in my, I have to run an errand. I put it in my, I put it on my earbuds. I have to, I'm walking to and from work I do I put in my earbuds if I'm working out I put in my earbuds that's when I do it so and I think that's most that's what we find when we survey people a lot of that's a big use case scenario so so that's what makes me and then so in that walled garden of audio um there's like you can do everything that they're doing out here you can do the you know house hunting show you can do the all the fiction shows you can do all these interesting things and there's nothing you know, there's nothing in this audio world, and there's going to be. I mean, it's going to get populated very, very quickly. And it we're doing is. it, and it, 250,000 podcasts out there's there. There's 250,000 podcasts, but there's like there, like 200, and, you know, 249,999 of them are like very similar. Like they're they're sort of going after sort of similar areas. There's not there's not a, let's see, there's not like a produced house hunting podcast. For well, example. well, and I I want to get into this. I also yeah. want to um. Uh, veer back and forth with your origin story and some mm -hmm. kind of the psychological hurdles along the way. But uh, I kind of think of, uh, and tell me if you agree or disagree, um, I almost think there's this like ladder of quality in podcasts. There's the people who kind of 
talk on the phone or Skype and there's very bad audio quality mm-hmm. and it's like a, a, a kind of bad interview show. They're not professional interviewers. They just kind of put together a podcast, which is fine. They have yeah. that right to do. And that's the great thing about podcasts is anyone can do it. Yeah. Then there's the next level where it's like in person um, and we're doing a, a recording. And mm-hmm. then there's like the next level where we're, we're doing right now, the audio quality is going to be perfect because we're in a studio. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like where I'm at with my podcast, which is mm-hmm. fine. Like I bring on interesting guests and we tell stories and we, you know, mm-hmm. have a history and so on. And then there's the next level, which you do, where it's like not just full audio quality, but full production quality, where you're going to tell the arc of a story and there's many characters right. and there's a season and you're going to get through. And so people become, people, I sort of feel at each level that you do is another order order of magnitude of potential listeners. Do you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, I agree. And I would say that there's like a bunch of levels above just the one. So uh, beyond what we're doing right now, the next level is simply taking what we're doing right now and editing it. And that you can do, and like you just edit out the boring parts, you edit out when you were a cough or whatever, you well, sort of like so move things around. Story implies for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then, but then, so like on top of, but then like, even within the things that we're doing, we have like our heavier lifts and our lighter lifts, and something like like Crime Town, that, which is a podcast that we have, which is about sort of like this sweeping sort of documentary about like corruption and organized crime in Providence, Rhode Island, um, and it's sort of like The Wire meets The Sopranos, except if it was all true, and it's like um, and like the sound design. I mean, there's like special effects, there's like original music. It's like it's edited, you know each episode is edited multiple times you know we sort of play it through and then tweak and play it through and tweak and it's like that's that's like sort of like at the one end of the spectrum and then and then there's other ones that are sort of like more like basically interview based but like you throw on some music you edit it obviously uh you have a couple like sort of like fun things that you do but like like what so like and those are sort of our more weekly shows so like something like um we just launched a show called every little thing uh, which is, um, which is like, it doesn't have like the textured sound design of of uh, Crime Town. It's not as narrative focused as Crime Town. What it is is it's sort of like an exploration. Each each episode explores like something in the world and sort of looks behind it to see like what's cool about that thing. So they did, they've just started. They did eclipses. They did. Um, Office plants. They did the sort of the secret world of office plants. They did uh, the Senate parliamentarian was their most recent one. It's a super. I love it. It's a great podcast. I, I haven't listened to that one. It, I, it, I we just it. launched it. Just launched three weeks ago, and it's like, but it's like, and it's and it goes right at that like sort of like I want to learn something while I'm on my commute. I want to learn something while I'm like sort of like working out or whatever. But so there um, you're competing like let's say with hardcore history stuff you should you know, know Malcolm like, Gladwell's to, revision yeah stuff. like that sort of yeah. so, so do you compete with that yeah and I feel like so our theory about what kind of podcast we want to launch is sort of like if we're going if we're going to try to compete in a space that we know people are already listening which is this sort of like I guess edification space I want to learn something while I'm listening um we want to come with an approach that we think can differentiate ourselves or we can do sort of better than than people there are doing there's other places where like I don't know if we can, we can't really, com- like, there's a bunch of sports shows, and, like, we haven't figured out how to way to crack into sports yet. There's a bunch of comedy shows. We haven't figured out how to way to crack into comedy because, like, Earwolf and, like, ESPN and The Ringer and, like, all these, they're already doing a lot of that stuff, and it's, like, hard for us to figure out, like, 
what do we have to add to it? Do, um, do you need to compete but, in that space? Like, like do no. you identify a space that uh, gets a lot of ad dollars and gets a lot of downloads, and and then you try to get into that space? I think I think we don't need to at all because because there's so many other spaces that are just sort of wide open. Like you like know? storytelling. Like storytelling is like getting actually more crowded. I'm thinking like I don't know like. I don't want to give them away because I feel like I don't want people to rush into them. But like, there's just like, just think of TV and then think of like. So at one area where, because you know, uh, like you say, it's wide open. Like, let's say. Um, uh, what excites you? Like, uh, hold on one second. Let me let me think about this. Like, like I think there's like, um, there's like you know, bio, like biographies, you know. Like there's a biography channel. There's like a biography shows. There's like all these sort of like there's like sort of behind the there's oral history shows. And you look at like, like that. the success of like a musical like Hamilton. Obviously, yeah, yeah, people yeah. People are intrigued history by that. is clearly like a place where like Dan Carlin is like sort of like running the board there. And there's not that many other things that have even sort but, of competed there. And but, so like, but yeah. if I start like let's say my own history podcast, it's me. People have the choice to listen to me or Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin's established such a presence. I feel like everyone's going to just choose Dan Carlin. Like it's it's you know yeah unless you do something different than Dan Carlin. Yeah okay. So like and like Dan Carlin comes out like you know I mean they're four hours long when they come out but then he he works on them for a year. Okay. So you've got like you've got like a year <laughs> like between the Dan Carlin even if you're not even if like they like Dan Carlin better than you you still have like you still have like a year where like they've listened to everything Dan Carlin's put out and there's, there's nothing else there you know. So, so let me yeah. ask like a totally naive question. And this is this is related not just to podcasts, but I think about this when I do whenever I give like uh, a speech or a public talk. So one of my favorite TV shows is Louis, which is mm. the you know Louis C.K.'s kind of version of Seinfeld or whatever. It's twenty two minutes, and it's incredibly entertaining. Yeah, and and entertaining in every way. There's comedians on it. There's a dark story. There's a great arc. There's an intro show arc or intro show arc. Um, or and that's twenty two minutes. Or a podcast is an hour of two people talking, and we're clearly not as entertaining as Louis C.K. I mean, yeah. maybe you are. I'm. I'm not as entertaining. No. Well, so, nobody is. So, so Louis C.K. isn't if he's just talking unedited for like an hour and a half. Yeah. So why are we competing with with Louis? I mean, you're saying we're not because it's audio time versus someone's video time. I. I that's what I'm saying. I think also like we're doing we're doing a different thing. Like we. I think I think podcasting. What podcasting does is it provides. It's like. It allows you to not be alone during your commute or during these like weird pockets. There's like two and a half hours during the day when you're not doing anything specific. You're sort of like, it's sort of like errand time. It's like when you're cooking, doing your laundry, mowing the lawn. You're doing all these things where you're sort of alone, where you're alone. You can't really have, ac- you don't really have access to media. And like, what about audiobooks? Audiobooks, exactly. That's a, that's another thing that people are are doing in this time. So it's audiobooks, music, and podcasts. And, and do podcasts it. compete with uh, audiobooks? Absolutely. So yeah. you have to be better than an audiobook. You have to be better way. than an audiobook. You have to be better than, and then you have to be sort of like to the, and then sometimes people are just going to want to listen to music. That's there's nothing you can do about that. But like I think for there's there's so, but what they want, I think what where podcasts compete with audiobooks is that what people I think what people get out of a podcast are three things: they get companionship, they get to hang out with somebody who feels like a friend, and that's real. I have that when I listen to podcasts. You have it, I'm sure. Like people have it when they listen to you and I. Um, we feel like a, a friend to the people who are listening right now. Um, and and that's legitimate because I think we are actually saying true things to each other the way we would, you know, to friends. So, like, I feel like that's a legitimate feeling. Um, they learn things or they're told a story. I think those are the three categories that people listen to podcasting for. And I think if you're doing one or two of those things well, then 
if you're fun to hang out with or you're telling a really good story or you're like actually helping people learn something or understand something, you're that's that's a that's a that's a valid use case for or if your, you're doing all yeah. three. And if you're doing all three, then that's like I think you get that's when you get big numbers. And so I think the shows that do all three, like This American Life, like Reply All, I think one of our shows does all three. Like it's fun to hang out with them, you're learning something, they're telling you a story. That's 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 great. And like we've seen when we can do that, we get we get big audiences. You know, there's the, I I want to get to your kind of personal motivations for again, you you were at a great place, you were at NPR, you know, This American Life and then then Planet yeah. Money. You could have gone in many directions. Starting a business is really I, hard. Yeah. But 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 there's of course there's there's kind of this artificial motivating factor which is money at the end of it. But there's another factor like you 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 continue to do something you loved but in a different way which is to tell stories yeah. without a boss. So yeah. you know like I used to write for newspapers and sometimes you'd write something and they say, "Well, look, you can't say exactly this." Now I write just whatever I want right. and that feels a lot better. <laughs> I, I never had the like I was never like one of those people. I was always a pretty fine organization person. Like I worked in organizations my whole life. I left I I did this when I was 47, right? So it took me a Which long time. Which is inspirational time. to people. Like It's a long time of like I was very much You had like, every uh, bad habit in the book. <laughs> I was like yes, exactly. And I think um so I never had a big problem with like working. It was never like I can't work for somebody. Like that's not me. I can very easily work for somebody, and I did for many, many years. Um, I think. I think what it was was a combination of just sort of like starting to really just feel like just see something that was there that was just frustrating enough that I just had to do it. Like feeling like that. And well, then why also, did you propose it within the organization? I did, and we just couldn't do it within the organization. There was just like there was like I I had a vision for how it should go, and I just couldn't get people to like commit. And it's like. That's the whole other story. Like, but within NPR, it was hard to it was hard to sort of like figure out how to make it work. And we tried. There was people. There was really good people inside NPR who would we'd have meetings about it, and but it just never could finally go 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 there. And part of that was just sort of like institutional within NPR. And part of that was also like with me the other motivation that I had, which is like the motivation that one has at like at a certain point in one's career where you're like, I want to try to like make. I've been creating value for lots of people and I want to try to own some of that value. I want equity in my work in well, some way or another. I think that's really like, important. I think and I think one and I think you said you could have written a book. I think the way that people do it in journalism that I'd seen is like you you write a book and you hope it's a bestseller. And like and that's a way and then you own some of the royalties from that book. And I just was like I don't want to write a book. I don't have a book in me. I don't know what the book would be. It would be a year or two of my life that would just be. It just felt like a. It actually felt riskier and less oh, oh. upside to write a book than to start a business. Although, I mean, storytelling has many outlets. Podcast being one of them, book yeah. being another, TV yeah. show being another. Yeah. I mean, Crime Town could have been a book. Yeah, it could be a documentary. It could yeah, be a yeah. movie. Yeah. So, so you kind of cho- you kind of chose a similar format to kind of the radio show style so that you were working on. I mean, it's a little different format. It's a little yeah. rougher, I would say. Uh-huh. But uh, you chose a, f- a format that you were somewhat comfortable with. Yeah, exactly. And and this was a way of sort of like and by starting the company, it was a way of continuing to do the thing that I love to do, and then also just experimenting and just like trying it in different forms and different formats and all that sort of stuff, but without actually having to get good at a whole different way of expressing yourself. Because I also have found, like, you know, at This American Life, we did... Because I don't know if I can write a book. Like, I know that I can make a good audio program. I'm not a writer. And, like, I'm very, very humble about, like, the limits of, like, what 
your how your skill set transfers. Like, I how do you I, figure out what your skill set is? Like, a lot of people sitting in a cubicle listening to this might say, "Well, I do want to write a book. That's always been a dream of mine, but I never did it." So yeah. How do you know what the limits of your skill? Well, I mean, are? you should absolutely try to write a book, and then you see. Like, I I started in audio a long time ago and got gradually good at it, and then got to the point where like I was getting recognized for it and winning awards for it, and then I was like, and then people responding to it, and like, and that at that point I was like, okay, I guess I'm okay at this. You know, that was it was just the standard way of like. You try it, you get feedback. You try it, you get feedback. I mean, that was that's. I mean, that's that's how you know. So you the, know, if people if people like it, <laughs> there's a couple of, a couple of push pull things like. But but then but if you, to go from there to like that doesn't mean that I would have the same success if I wrote a book. You know what right. I mean? And like and I and I know that like, and so like if you're in media and you want to sort of like have something that you can own and get all the upside from, like a book is sort of a tried and true vehicle for that like you do if you sell if you write a bestseller you get rich from writing the bestseller but you did this economic analysis though which said okay books are saturated and and i don't know how to write one and it would be a it would be a huge investment of my time and i'm not sure it would work and like i see an opportunity here the upside actually seems bigger than you know the the slim chance that i could actually write a bestseller and like so so from a cost benefit analysis of like sort of like if I want to have equity in something that I'm making, maybe I should start a company like that. Maybe that is the the, the rational choice. And and I think uh, that is a very rational choice in the sense that uh, ownership creates wealth. Like it's very mm-hmm. hard to create wealth from income unless you're like the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and and you're not spending a lot on top of it. Uh, ownership creates value which builds and that and you eventually sell it or exit in some way or Mm -hmm. or monetize it in some way and that's how how 99% of the wealth that's not inherited gets created in America. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you, you, a couple of things that are very interesting that are sort of push-pull. You said you were an organization man um, but you were 47. That's usually, people often use this as an excuse. Oh, I'm too old to start something new. And 47 is not old. I'm 49. You're you're Mm -hmm. a young man compared to me. But well, I'm, th- older, I'm older than that now, so I'm older than you right now. So anyway, yeah, but... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. How old are you right I'm now? I'm 50. I, I, right, so I started the company when I was We're the same grade. Yeah. What year yeah, were yeah. you born? Uh, 66. Oh, 66. I'm 68. So you were yeah. a grade ahead of me. Yeah. Two grades. But, um, you know, so there's this, there's this push-pull of like, okay, I'm an organization, man. I can be happy here forever. But I also feel the need... I think everybody feels the need every few years. And I sort of feel like it's every five, six years. Everyone feels the need to reinvent. And maybe that happened to you. Like, maybe you did this American Life, then you started Planet Money, mm-hmm. then you started this. Before that, you were like a school teacher, right? Yeah. Like, how did mm-hmm. you go from school teacher to radio? I just... I, <laughs> I was like... I went... Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I wanted to reinvent myself. And so, like, I just... I got an internship at a magazine, at Harper's Starting magazine. from scratch. Yeah, starting from scratch. And then... I came back from that and I wrote a little bit and I got and I and then this was in the, in the late '90s and then I got basically I had a, a, a an, um, basically an administrative position at This American Life in the very beginning when it was when I was just sort of like a, a year or two old and that's how I sort of got my entree into into radio. And what you yeah. what you I mean that must have been a great uh, combination of uh, almost like an apprenticeship at This American Life. Like what do you feel you learned from Ira Glass, who's one of the great storytellers of all time? Oh, everything. I mean, everything I know. I mean, that was, like, really... I mean, he... he, I can't say enough about, like, how much... How he kicked off this whole thing, right? Like, he was... He invented the podcast before the podcast was a thing. The technology existed for the podcast. But he he created, like, his style of storytelling. But he also created on-demand listening. And I think that's... What does that mean? So what that means is, like, 
you, there's two ways of listening. There's like passive listening, and I get this is uh, this is um there's an investor Jeremy Liu, which is sort of like I've heard I've heard him talk about this. So I'm sort of like Lightspeed this, Ventures, yeah, Lightspeed Ventures. Uh, he's in Snapchat. Maybe? He's in Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. It was a famous story of how he got in Snapchat. But this is like his his idea. But but um that there's like there's sort of like there's passive listening which is sort of like what most radio was for a long time, which is something that you can turn on, and what most television viewing was for a long time, which is something that you turn on, and then when it's on, you watch it, and then you turn it off, and you go to sleep, or you get to your destination, or whatever. And it's just like, it's, you listen because it's on when you turn on the, when you turn on the button. Um, and then there's on-demand listening, which is sort of like something where you choose to listen to it. For many years before podcasting, we lived in a purely, uh, a purely you know, sort of passive listening world in talk radio. Like the news was on when you turned it on and then it was off when you got to work or, you know, and then Ira came along and invented this American life and, and Garrison Keeley did it a little bit too in public radio, but it was just sort of like where it was like, oh no, it was like the old days. Like people would like actually block a part of their day off to listen to this American life because the content was that unique and that compelling that people made it a, a mission to listen. And sometimes you catch it when it was on, but it wasn't, you know, so, but you had to sort of, if you really wanted to listen, you had to sort of plan your day about it. And like he made the, the, his whole thing from the very beginning was make the content compelling enough that people will do that. And how Because we don't, do we that? don't have another value proposition at This American Life. We're not giving you the news of the day. We're not like necessarily like, you know, like we're not playing you with a song you want to hear. You know, the only reason you want to listen to us is because we're telling you like a really compelling story. And so you, we have to make it really good. And how how would he how would he do that? How, what what for him was the bar? I mean, the bar was really really high, and like we would kill stories. He set up the he set up the the system so that you could so that you could that there was enough producers, and they were like, I mean, it was sheer force of will. He had a really pronounced vision for what makes a good story. I mean, it's like a sort of a it's like there has to be surprise. There has to be it has to take you to an unexpected place. You have to bring a lot of like fresh ideas to it. Like I think a lot of times people tell this, especially in in journalism and especially in public radio, they they're like, "Here's the story. The story is that this thing happened, and this thing happened, this thing happened, and this thing happened, and then we're done because that's what happened." And yes, that's true. So let's say that's but, the like, bottom layer. That's of story. the bottom layer. But like what Ira, what Ira's insight was was sort of like, yeah, but that's just like that's just like life and what you need to do is you need to sort of like what do we make of that like what what meaning do we glean from that what does that tell us about the the world and so you have to bring your own like a lot of journalists are, are sort of like I, I just report what happens and ira was saying like I, i'm reporting what happens but i also want to like give give you some context give you an original thought like give you an interesting metaphor like what's happening here is sort of like what happens over here in a thing that you haven't thought about you know i want to i, I want to just interrupt and say this is not only important for telling a story in a podcast this is kind of important for everything yeah. like if i if i give a talk uh or even read an email i kind of need Th that skill set. I can't just say, well, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, yeah. and that's the email because then the email will be boring or the talk will be boring or yeah. the podcast will be boring or the TV show will be boring or the book will be boring. Yeah. You kind of, so let's say the second layer is there, the first event creates a problem for somebody yeah. and then the second event maybe either creates a new problem as they try to solve the first problem. So like, that's like a second layer. Yeah. What's like other layers? Like Because Ira was, Glass is clearly the master of it and you learn from the master. And given that this is important for more than just podcasting, this skill set, mm -hmm. tell me, teach me some other things about that those layers. Well, there's a couple things like, I mean, so basically something new has to happen every, every 30 to 60 seconds in like, audio. What, what does that mean? That means that there has to be um, 
Well, like a, a a surprising turn has to happen in the story. Like you can have be like, you know, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, and then look, this happened, and you didn't see that coming at all. Like, like what's an example? Like, I mean, the most basic example is sort of like I walked out the street, I looked up in the sky. What do you think? Can you guess what I saw? And then if I say a cloud, that's a boring story. And if I say a UFO, okay, UFO, new information. Now. What happened then? Right? Every every thirty every seconds. Every thirty seconds, there has to be a, a UFO. That's incredible. And the UFO can be, it doesn't have to be a UFO. Obviously, like that's that's too much to expect. But the UFO can be. I looked up inside. I saw I saw a cloud, and it made me think about this memory that I hadn't heard for since that I hadn't thought of since I was a kid. So, and then so, you're and then you're and then but something has to happen that propels you forward into the next thirty seconds, and then something has to propel you forward in the next thirty seconds. So that was thing one. That I learned. It's just sort of like just the basics of like how do you sustain interest across a story? Like you need new, new, a new idea or a new emotion to happen every 30 to 60 seconds. Or a joke. <laughs> a joke will work too. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's yeah. so interesting. I never thought about it that way that the beats are every 30 to 60 seconds. Yeah. So what's, a, what's yeah. another thing? Or, or, and then, or what's another example of that? And then another thing is sort of like, and this is happens in like specifically in non, in, in journalism a lot, is sort of like where you're sort of telling a, a story, um, like the facts are one thing, but then sort of like, how do we, like the facts can be familiar. There can be a familiar fact pattern. And this happens a lot in journalism because like it's, you're reporting on important stuff, right? Like, inequality, poverty, like global warming, like what there are these big important issues that are out there. But like the fact patterns are very familiar to people. And so if you're just doing that story over and over again, people tune it out. People are like, yeah, it's another war somewhere that I don't understand. And like, and so you, yes, 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 people died. Bad, bad, bad people die, death, you know? And like, and like, that's horrible, but it's just, that is also a, a fact about people. And, and so, um, and there's a whole like, and there's a whole category of stories that I think of as sort of like poverty sucks stories. So it's almost like it's almost like, like there's a, like some brain science there. Like that's just gonna like fall on my neurons. I recognize that. You're gonna recognize pattern. that it's and you're gonna recognize that it's bad. You're gonna recognize that it's important, and you're not gonna want to listen to it. Uh, and 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 so how do you get? But they're really important. You know, it's important that people know about this stuff. So how do you get people to like listen to a story like that? And sometimes it is. Um, taking somebody inside the life of that person and revealing something that you don't know about, like the life of somebody who's living in poverty, which so, is some something that, like, which is a, a surprising emotion that. It's so like, what's feel. an example? So, that, what's an example of that is like often like is like, um, uh, I mean, an example can be as simple as sort of like here's the standard sort of story of like this is a person who lives in hardship, and like the first thing you hear is them making a joke about something. And that reveals like, oh, even though their circumstances are hard, they still have an inner life like I do and they still like to crack a joke or something or they still have a feeling about something or like here's here's a pet that they miss or something. You know, that there's like some kind of like humanity that is not normally seen. That's, I feel, I feel yeah. like the humanity and the relatability is important, but sometimes, and you see this in like uh, t reality TV, for instance, sometimes there's also shock value that has to happen 
every so yes. often or, or with the theme yeah. of the show. And the shock value, I feel the bar gets raised so high with reality TV that it's almost incomprehensible. Yeah. Whereas what you're saying is not shock value, but um, just some unique twist that Something we can relate to. A little counter to the narrative. Like mm-hmm. if the narrative, the overwhelming narrative, and I, I'm talking like a lot about pop, sort of like public radio here because like I think- But I'm did. asking about it. I'm yeah, asking yeah, about yeah. Hourglass. Yeah, yeah. But like, so, but if the, if the standard narrative is sad, 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 bad, 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 right? Which is all true. But then, like within the sad, 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 can we sort of like can we show something that's not just sad, but is like unexpected or interesting or like here's a, here's like a glimpse of this person that is sort of like that that is like outside of that standard narrative. The minute you do that, that's good. Well, if you can, what, what's it, the best example of that that you could, if you remember any? And, and by the way, the reason I stress on this, and you I, can, well, I have one, yeah. yeah, like I remember we did the, I did a story about like um, with Paul Tuff. Do you know Paul Tuff? Uh, no. He wrote uh, How Children Can Succeed. He's like a big, you know, he's an author. He worked at Harper's for a long time and he's, and he's done a bunch of stories for This American Life. He's a best-selling author. He, he's written a lot about education. And he did wrote a big book about Jeffrey Canada, who's the guy in Harlem, who's the social entrepreneur in Harlem who does these um, big projects to try to like sort of like figure out how to alleviate poverty and get people educated and sort of, um, he has the Harlem's Children's Zone and all that stuff. Uh, and I think he won a MacArthur. Um, and like we did a story, and we follow, and he, one of his programs is this thing called Baby College, which is sort of like he was like, there's all the science that like middle class parents are getting about how to raise their kids, and like how you have to read to your kid, and how like nurturing is important, and all the stuff that like middle class parents are getting that like none of the parents in my community are getting, like that's just not reaching them, like none of the science is reaching them, and so he sets up this thing called Baby College, which like is just like a a that sort of like run from people within the community to help help just propagate those lessons to you know to parents in Harlem. So it's this thing called Baby College. We do the story. We're follow, we're talking to this one woman, and then we're and then there's just this thing where she's like just saying like how she wants something more for her kid or something like that. And it's sort of like, and then we asked like I remember we asked her like what was the what was the idea that gave you that there was something more out there? And she was like, oh, it's the Cosby show. I remember watching the Cosby show and like, like just seeing that house and seeing that family and like feeling like, oh, that's what I want in my life. Even though I didn't have any examples of it in my contemporaries around me, I remember thinking like, oh, that's, that was the first time I thought that could be mine. And it was just so, and it was like, such the theory of the Cosby show, right? You know, so much yeah. about like how, what the Bill Cosby said he was doing. Now Cosby is a, da- a dangerous example <laughs> at this point. Yeah, different but yeah, issue, but yeah. But, uh, but like that, and it was just sort of like, she described like what it was like seeing that house and that family and just sort of like applying it to her own life in this way. And it was just like an interesting, it was sort of like very universal detail, you know? Right, and there's a lot of different directions where you can go from there, like yeah. metaphors and so on and how she yeah. modeled her family yeah. life after this TV fictional family yeah. and how it kind of brought her to this baby college moment or whatever. Yeah. But but the, and the reason I, I stressed it, there's two directions I'm going to go from here. One is is and I, I don't know if you agree or not, but I do think that this type of you know standing out and uh, you know discovering the beats of what you're going to say and how you can make one of those beats or every few beats unique is important. Again, if you're even just writing a memo to your boss or mm-hmm. if you're pitching a, a business or if you're there's so many different applications of what you're saying right now. But the other is you uh the biggest question i would have about you as an investor before you started this company is do you have what it takes to a uh create more hits like this american life and planet money and b um the second question which we'll get to later which i, I won't get to yet but um so what what other 
Ira Glass-like things did you learn that that t- for t- storytelling? Yeah, and hold on a minute because I think we might be um, we might have overstayed our welcome in this studio. Hold on one second because we are under a lot of studio pressure. So hold on. Okay, so she extended it till two. Um, hold on one second. Uh, you might have to hear. Are you? Uh, hold on, I'm gonna. You don't edit right now. This poses a problem. Are you gonna? No, no, like, I edit. Oh, okay, 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 good. So then I'll just I'll yeah. get it rolled in. Okay, hold on one second. I might keep this going anyway, like this. Yeah, okay. I like podcasts that are rough. <laughs> uh, hey, you guys need to get in. Nathan, who's editing this, keep this in. This is part of how uh, podcast businesses run. Things happen. Schedules get messed up. Let's stop and take a quick break. We'll be right back. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Because I'm about to tell you, and I'm really glad this company is a sponsor of the podcast. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. It used to be you'd go to this site, then this site, then this site. Now you post everything on ZipRecruiter. It sends it out to all the job sites. It brings back all the data and all the applicants to one dashboard so you could screen, test, check out all the candidates in just one spot. And this is why they're different. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to the office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. One more time to try it for free. And I hope you just try it just once. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Hello, 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 hello. One, two, one, two, one, two. Can you talk in there? Yeah, test. One, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three. Okay. All right. All right, ready? Good. Yes. It's going? It's going. It's recording? It's recording. Where's the recording? I don't see it. Right here. Okay. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, storytelling. What else? Uh, so, storytelling. Um, because, because let me ask you a question. Like, this, uh, I'm interrupting myself, but I feel like podcasts, no matter how much they claim to be either educational or, you know, illuminating about some topic, it's really the entertainment business. You have yeah. to tell a story no matter what. Even if it's an interview like this, there has to be an arc of a story. No yeah, matter yeah. what, there has to be a story. Yeah. No, I think that's what, I mean, that was like basically like, I feel like This American Life was sort of like a narrative boot camp in that way. We were just trying to like, because like, it's something I've realized, I've realized a lot of things about This American Life since leaving uh, and starting this company. And and because I think when I was there, I was like, okay, well, there's the right way to do things and then there's everything else. And so like what we need to do, like I have I have learned these tricks of narrative audio and I've learned what works and I just have to apply that everywhere. And since leaving, I realized, oh, that's just, that's true. There are tricks that like I I have learned and I can talk about those. But also this American life 
really was super reliant on those tricks because This American Life was trying to do something that is really hard to do, which I only now am realizing, which is like, it's, it is a show without boundary. So every episode, you're starting from scratch. People aren't coming there because like, I really want to, I'm really interested in real estate or I really want to find out how to start a business. Right, or there's I really, no extra gimmick There's to no back gimmick, on. there's no frame there's no, uh, there's no. I love, I love sports. So I'm telling, coming to you for the sports show. There's like no particular reason to go there except I want to be entertained and surprised. And so, so you, we, we had to sort of like overbuild those muscles of sort of ever en- entertainment and surprise, um, which is really good, you know, because like other shows, you can. You, you know, they can just draw an audience by just being like, oh, I'm going to tell you something that you want to know or that's something that you're interested in. And if I have, if I entertain you and surprise you, that's great. It'll be a good version of that. But like, it's not all reliant on that. And at This American Life, it was all reliant on like, you had to invent the thing from scratch. You had to invent the frame from scratch. You know, you had to invent like, here's what this story is about and here's why it's interesting. You know, you had to get that across in the, like the first 40 seconds. You right, know? and how do you, so how do you do that? And, and again, this is not just for yeah. podcasts, this is for when an employee sends a letter to his or her boss. Like, this yeah. is for every, every communication in life. You have to kind of get someone's attention, right. make your point, and keep them, keep that attention. Keep that attention. So I think the way you do it, I think, so, I mean, I already came up with a bunch of innovate. I think a bunch of sort of tools that are really, really good, and a lot of them I, are just, I'm using, like, well, the one, he, so, one big thing is he like he just sort of like there's no there's no throat clearing you're just like you start the story and I'll just start with like there was a guy who was you know in the in the middle of this and like and then this thing happened um, so part of it is just like you just dive into the narrative um, part of it is he was he was himself like he wasn't trying to talk he was talking in a conversational way and like I think that's sort of taken for granted now because everybody does that podcast I'll do that but like that was per- like he was sort of like. Newer at that than like you know like that was a that was I don't know if it was an innovation of his but it was like he was one of the few people who was like just trying to talk like himself on the radio, um, and as an indication of how hard it is to talk like yourself on the radio, like they even developed a house style at This American Life that was not like people talking like themselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like that happens. You know, mm. um, it's hard to talk like yourself. Uh, well, what do you think? You know, I think it is because I think people really. A don't know who they are, yeah. In in for lo- for the most part. So how do you kind of build the ability to talk like yourself? Well, I I mean I did it by like, uh, basically mimicking Ira. Like I mean, so you talk if like you, Ira. I started talking like Ira. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you listen, especially now, I mean, it's probably still to this day, I have like a lot of like Ira Iraisms in my in my voice. Um, but certainly when I was doing stories there and later at Planet Money. And even when I started like at Startup, I think I sound a lot like him. Like, and I think because I just pat- I patterned myself after him. Like he was the, that was the, that was my model, you know? Um, but, uh, but I think it's a combination of sort of like having, like knowing who you are and how you talk, but also like developing a version of yourself that you're okay performing. Um, that feels true, but is also not exactly like you talk. Like you don't want to talk exactly like you talk because there's like a lot of ums and ahs, and there's like you're not. You have to say things that you're not just gonna normally say in conversation. You're saying different types of things, so you have to be a performance of yourself. But uh, 
but it has to be you too. So it's like it's that's it's a weird thing. It's like close to you, but not exactly you. And figuring out who that person is 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 hard. Well, I think also, I mean, I'm just taking a stab at this, but if you let curiosity drive you, like your own curiosity drive you through a story, chances are a good part of your audience is going to be curious at those points as well. Yeah, and that helps. Yeah, I think. I think also just yeah, and part of the corollary of that is just basically getting better at your craft. Like if you understand like what the actual question you have about a story, then you will sound more like yourself because it will be a more authentic version of the story. Mm. Um, so, and a lot of that is just like, when you start working on stories, especially scripted stories, you're just really bad at it. You know, like you don't know what you're doing and you don't know what's interesting. And I didn't. And most people that I've, and now I've had a chance to observe lots and lots of beginners and like we all have the same problem when so, we're beginners. What, yeah. What's the difference you feel between yourself as a beginner and yourself now? Oh, I mean... Like, what's one example, like a specific example? Um, well, I'm much... I, I just know what I'm doing more. I know I know what's good and what's bad. Uh, I know it's cliched. I know it's, like, I know it's boring. Um, and not always, but I'm just, like, I just have a much higher probability of being right about that stuff, and I'm much quicker to diagnose it. Um, I can just tell. I can just... I just... It's, like, the difference between being a beginner and an expert at any, anything. Hmm. You just, you're, I mean, the main difference I think I'm learning is like efficiency. I'm just faster at everything. I can, I can write faster. I can write for myself faster. I make fewer mistakes. I'm, I make better decisions earlier on. I still need to write bad first drafts and stuff, but like it just, the whole process happens faster. So in terms of like, uh, knowing how to hit those beats, like, like, so you said, you mentioned, you know, every 30 to 60 seconds, there's got to be some new emotion. Uh, he's got to sort of get you kind of, uh, you know, enmeshed in the story in the first 40 seconds. What are some of the ways you keep people going through the story? Yeah. So you basically have to understand what audio is good at. So audio is really good at narrative. So a narrative is like really, really simple. It's a sequence of events that arrives at some unexpected turn. And, and, and it is simple as like, if I say to you, Hey James, yesterday I I, um, I was walking to work, and as I was walking to work, I passed the street. And as I looked down the street, like those are three sentences. You desperately want to know what happened when I looked down the street. There's just just the alchemy of putting those three sequences of actions together. You are now ready to hear what the next thing was, and like that's part of audio. Like it's just sort of like if you can just tell three things in order, people want to listen to the fourth thing. If I say to you, I looked down the street and I saw a car. You're like, okay, that's not a good story. And if I say to you, I looked down the street and I saw something amazing, you know, a man with the head of a bird, you know, then okay, you're like into that story. And so like, so, so, but the first part, like the sequence of actions, it's, it's surprisingly rare that people even know that part, that people even know that like, you need to begin your story at a beginning and it needs to have like some steps in it, <laughs> you know? And I think if you listen to, um, a lot of people will be like, I, you know, they'll say like, you know, when I was working and like, you know, I was, you know, they'll have some sort of like pretty pivotal thing that happened to them. Like, you know, I used to be, I used to be a hog butcher, but then I became, you know, when I was a, when I was a hog butcher, I was like, I, I, I killed a lot of hogs, but then I became a vegetarian. And you're like, okay, that's a great story. And you told it like crap. Because I need to know the sequence of events. I need to know, like, wait, what was the day that you... How did that happen? Like, what happened? And so people will say... So either people will give a bunch of sequence... A, a, a bunch of actions. They'll be like, 
I walked to the, uh, out of my house, I looked down the street, I saw a car, then I saw another car, and then I saw a blue car, and then I looked up in the sky, and I saw a cloud, and then it's a, that's the story of a four-year-old. There's, it's all actions, mm. no point, mm. <laughs> right? Or people will tell you just the point, and they will leave out the sequence of actions. And what you want is you want them both together. Mm. So that's a big part of it. It's just sort of like the shape of a story. And so now when you're, I mean, obviously now you're producing all these different podcasts, so you're basically looking for that story and... The, the building blocks of, a, of, of compelling narrative, of compelling audio, the building block is a story. And the building and, block is like a sequence of events that arrives at a point. So given that that media now is so dense, also a story, I mean, you have, you know, we've, we talked about the difference between video and, and audio consumption of, of stories, but in general now... There's so many places I can go for for my story and my entertainment consumption. How do where's the bar? Like, how do you know something's interesting enough to say, okay, I want to make a podcast about this. I want to tell this story. Well, I think that's the, the so so when it was this this American Life, we were sort of alone doing that, and so like, uh, but like so the bar is sort of like so these are the building blocks, right? Sequence of actions, some sort of like punchline. The bar is sort of like, what's the punchline? <laughs> and how interesting are the sequence of actions? Like me walking down the street, looking down the street, seeing cars, that's not interesting. Those details aren't interesting. The punchline's not interesting. So then the bar is sort of like, okay, how compelling are the details? How surprising are the things that, how surprising is the turn? You know, like that's where the bar is. And so, so like, if it's like, if, if the story consists of a bunch of details that I haven't heard or a bunch of details that are sort of like, interesting and like the cars were a color that i had never seen in nature before and i couldn't figure out where they were all the cars had like these you know whatever you know there's like if there's something weird that you're saying then then it's the bar is just sort of like how different from the sort of like the fray does it sound um and how and what is the world it's describing like i think there's a lot of podcasts out there that are describing pretty similar worlds right now um like what like what do you mean by similar worlds I mean, there's just a bunch of different kinds of podcasts, but there's a there's a, in the storytelling space, there's a lot of memoirish sort of like I had this thing happen to me when I was young and it left an impression on me, or I learned this interesting thing about my parent that I didn't know, or you know, there's a bunch of these boxes that stories mm -hmm. fall into. I feel like those are the ones where it's the space is getting a little crowded at this point. If I have a if I'm going to hear somebody telling a sort of a memoirish story about a dysfunctional family. It's got to be pretty, you know, dysfunctional. It's, it's got to be pretty different. I don't I mean, know. If it does, yeah, you know. What I, mean? I always think of like you know the fact that Caitlyn Jenner's uh, TV show got canceled. So here's a yeah. an Olympic athlete who was on the Wheaties box, who uh, was a Kardashian, who you know got in some kind of car accident. All these things happen. Changed gender. You know, says all these crazy things, and still her TV show is canceled. Like, what do you have to do? Well, and that's the other thing, though. Is that like Caitlyn Jenner was a crap storyteller? She's just bad at it. Yeah. She's not good. I agree. That is perhaps the most surprising story in the history of stories. The Kardashians becoming like a, a champion of transgender like rights and like just like it's all happening on like the biggest show in the world. It's like crazy, you know, that it happened and like. Caitlyn Jenner's a bad storyteller. Like she's just not good. Like, and that's not, how important it is. That's how important it is because she doesn't like she doesn't give you really good details. She doesn't access the emotions of what's happening to her. She's not authentic and what she's like. 
And that's what that's the difference between the Kardashians. The Kardashians can actually access their emotions a little bit better. And like with Caitlyn, you always got the sense. You're watching her and you're just like, there's an amazing story, Barrett, and I want to hear how it feels. And you're just so bad at saying how it feels. You're so bad. You at might be the only person in history, though, that says the Kardashians are a little better at than someone at accessing their emotions. Oh come on, they're so, they're way way better at it. Like they do it all the time. Like yeah. that's the thing that they're doing. And sometimes they're faking it, but sometimes they're not. Like sometimes they're actually feeling it. I right. feel like, or at least pretending to feel it in a pretty pretty good way. But I think that is for sure why they're compelling to watch. Mm-hmm. Chloe's real. Like, she's sort of real. You know, and like, she's absolutely completely fake. But like, there's a real part to her that you, when you watch it, you're like, oh yeah, there's a, there's this, some real part to you. When you say, I had this feeling about this thing, at least I, I, I trust that you know what a feeling is about a thing. So, so, you know, alongside of this, your story has changed so drastically in the past two years since we last uh, spoke. I mean, now, I mean, then you were pitching around, you know, this idea of a podcast production company Gimlet which has now become Gimlet now you're managing 60 employees you're doing all these podcasts you're like a boss instead of a storyteller you're like a CEO slash founder instead of just being you know a storyteller on you know some radio show right so how has what's been the new and surprising stresses in your own life as this kind of evolution has happened well, it's like trying to figure out like what, oh, so so the big stresses are sort of like, well, there's just like the normal stresses about becoming a boss. Number one is like you can't gossip anymore. Like there's like you a You were nice, able to gossip before? <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're working someplace and you get to like, you can just bitch about, you can bitch to people about whatever. You can mm-hmm. bitch about like what's going on with the company. You can bitch about like, not that I was ever a big bitcher. Like that, definitely not me. Like I'm not like sort of the person at the water cooler just like sort of like, can you believe they said this and rolling my eyes? But like, just like, cracking a joke about somebody or whatever, or just sort of like, oh, there they go again, or something. You know what I mean? You can't do that anymore as the boss. Like, because you just, it's just, you can't. The power imbalance is too weird. It's too weird to like, I can't be like, oh, well, they're just, that's just them being them. You know, to like, you just, you can't do it anymore. So, so trying to figure out like, okay, what do I, that's weird. Like, I have to just sort of like watch what I say um, more. Uh, I also just can't leak my anxiety in, in in a general way. Like I have to be, not that I have to like bullshit about it, but I also just can't like I can't be as expressive about it. Is that because I'm, things come from the top down, and if you're anxious, then employees will be anxious? Yeah, and and like and like your anxiety as the CEO of the company is just more powerful. It has bigger ripples, mm-hmm. like than your anxiety as like you know a producer somewhere. You know, if I'm worried about like. You know, when I was at This American Life, if I was worried about, like, I'm worried about, like, this decision that Ira was making, like, that's, I can share that with people and people aren't freaked out. If if Ira came down and was like, I'm worried about, like, ah, oh, man, I'm really worried of, like, we're going to have enough money next year. You know, like, then everyone's if I say that to, like, Julie, my colleague, then that's one thing. But if Ira says it, then everybody's like, what, are they not going to have enough money? It's, like, scary, you know? And so, and, like, and so, like, you don't want to, like, so, like, I just have to realize, like, there's certain worries that that if I that like that are totally normal to have and aren't like doesn't mean anything about like the actual fate of the company, but like that if I express them, they will be taken much more seriously. I had this experience early on where I would sort of say things offhandedly, and people would react and act on them, and in a way that I thought I was just thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that like um, it's also a big difference between 
let's say 10, 15 employees and 60. Because yeah. with 60 employees, with 10, 15 employees, it still feels like a family. Yeah. With 60 employees, uh, you're not really going to get to know everybody working for you. Right. And and you yeah. have to learn how to manage that. And there's different phases. Like So the one phase was just sort of like going from like me and Matt and like Caitlin Roberts, our first employee, to like, you know, 15 of us and now we're like a small like we're like a small business and we're a small family it feels like a small family and then and you can still get everybody in a room and sort of make group decisions at 65 that's obviously or 75 it's no longer possible so like so then how do you make decisions now um because you don't want to be in this position of just sort of like every decision comes from the top because i don't have the right information to make every decision uh so you have to set up a process to like figure out who's making the decision and how how are they making it the other thing is that like communication is a big thing now. Like you used to be able to get everybody in a room and be like, "Here's what we're doing," and everybody is like, "Okay, we know what we're doing." Now, like, not everybody can be at every meeting. We can't get everybody into the room. So, like, a big part of my job now is like, I've just started writing these quarterly emails where just sort of like, "Hey, everyone, here's what's happening." You know, just so you know, because people start. I would notice that people would start to get anxious like every couple of months. And I was like, what's going on? And it was what were they getting like, anxious about? They're just getting anxious about like they're working on their thing, but they don't know what else is going on around the company. And like they don't know, like they're worried. And like absence of information, people fill in a story. And so like, so like I just it it just they were getting anxious because they didn't have the same information about Gimlet that they had before, you know, when we could all get fit in a room together and just talk about it. So like I've had to become more intentional and about writing these emails and I try to make them entertaining so i'm still story i'm still actually telling like i'm still using these techniques i'm still trying to be myself i'm still trying to like sort of like have humor and surprise and sort of employ all those things but i'm just now putting them into an all staff email hmm. you know um because like because people want to know and 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 then and they and they want to and i think it's also more and more i am thinking about like my job is to sort of like not just say what's going on but just but also say why like articulate fucking hate saying this shit but like articulate the vision you know uh it's important it sounds corny and i've always like i've always resisted i don't think it's corny i think it's really important it's really important if when back when i was like before i was the ceo of a company if somebody if i heard a ceo of a company saying that my job is to articulate the vision i would have just like been like gag me but like okay but let's think of a different way to say it like you're you're basically Telling the story of but, why, you, of, but you have to like people like you had you had a vision that podcasting was an effective way of telling a story more important than let's say uh, yeah. uh, other media media and I time. believe it like that's the thing is that like I'm excited about it I love it I love what we're doing and and I feel like I'm I'm I feel like this you know tremendous excitement as well as terror and anxiety and everything else but like this tremendous excitement and pride at like what we're doing and. <laughs> but, let, but, but, but let's talk about the terror for a second. Yeah. Terror happens because you're experiencing something completely new. You're running a business. It's growing. Yeah. And the more it grows, you know, the bigger they, they are, the harder they could fall. And yes. that's a scary thing because it's always right in front of you. Yeah. So what's a moment when you felt this terror during this process? And then how do you get through it? And uh, do you like it? <laughs> I mean, the terror... Um, Let's say when a show goes bad. Yeah, I mean, there's, te- I mean, terror. <laughs> it's like terror is like, you know, terror is probably too up. strong, <laughs> strong a word. But like, but like, you know, very pit in the stomach sort of anxiety about stuff. Like I feel on a somewhat regular basis, and it's usually around, um, is this 
show not going to work? And if it's not going to work, what does that mean? And does that mean... And, like, basically the anxiety comes out of sort of, like, extrapolating from one detail to, like, sort of the entire future. So you start thinking, like, okay, like, the show, it's, like, going to... Like, the show's not working, or people aren't listening to the show, or, like, the show we cannot produce sustainably at all. Like, we've spent all this money making the show that we that we will never make money on. You know, and so, like you know that was a big mistake or something you know and then and then it'll be um and then so then there's sort of like there's the there's the terror of like oh did i blow it did um do i not want to know what i'm doing you know is, is the industry turning around is the industry yeah, and then there's all down? that stuff like outside of your even control Be- because of like, yeah. when you're at a job you get a stable paycheck every two weeks or every four weeks or whatever. Yeah. If you, no matter what your performance is, you know, yeah. unless you get fired, which yeah. may happen eventually, but may not. But when you're doing a business and something goes wrong, the first thing I always think is that okay, things were going well for a while, and now things are always going to go wrong. Like that's right. the ex- broader extrapolation that could happen. Right. Yes. The big bet that I was making was sort of like there's going to be more and more people listening to on-demand audio, right? And, like, I will be able to provide the programming for those more and more people as they discover the joy of on-demand audio. And so that's the big thesis backing this whole thing. And, like, so far it seemed true. Seemed true when I started. It's continued to seem true. Like, we're continuing to see growth in podcasting. It's all seeming true. Um, But then the big fear is, like, well, what if it's not? What if this is just a blip? And what if people, like, now what if the trends reverse? And, you know, like, there's that. But that, that's one where it's just sort of like it's so far outside of your control that like it's hard to know what to do about that and it doesn't even feel like worth worrying about really. Or you um, can say though, okay, let, let, the podcast growth is growing, but the, but podcasts, are the supply of them are growing even faster. Yeah. So demand for any one individual podcast could start to go down. And, and that is certainly that happening. Like, I, I I, feel like that's very much a worry. Like, uh, is the pie going to grow? Happened with TV. It happens in every medium. Yeah, absolutely. Like, again, I've been saying we're early, we're good, and so, like, I feel good. If the same thing happens here that happens in TV, we've already established a sort of a big, nice beachhead, you know? You're like the HBO. Yeah, we got here, you know? Um, it's not just podcasting, yeah, it's Gimlet. Yeah. <laughs> um... But uh, but still, like it's still like um, yeah. So there's that. But I, but I think for me, it's more about like, can we execute? What what about personally though? Like in terms of uh, you know, obviously, you know, with even though your job was very demanding before, and I'm sure it it, it took you through all sorts of hours. Now it's 24 hours a day. Yeah. So running a company, you could never leave your company. You, you come, it never leaves your head. So ha- your head. how does that? How do you deal with that in terms of like your personal life? It was it unexpected how all consuming it would be. You know, it's funny. I think because I've st- I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. I it's it's not it's all consuming in a different way than I thought it was going to be. I started this so late in my career, in my life, you know? Like um so when I first like my first big job was at This American Life and that's when I started and that was like my job in my 20s that I like actually my early 30s where I like where I was like this is my career and I threw myself into it and I worked till like 10 or 11 every single night and I worked on the weekends and I was like I never saw my friends and it was just sort of like that was like the thing that I did for like you know four years where I was just like always working um 
and I was building a career and a, a skill base. And like, I've never worked. I've never worked that hard since. Like, I don't work that hard. I don't work that many hours. Um, but the responsibility of this is completely different. And like, yeah, you gotta make, then you gotta I pay seventy people. I didn't wake up in the middle of the night worrying about things. I wasn't like always like sort of thinking about it. So that's a different thing that I have now where I'm like just sort of like just feels like very much like tied up. It is my life. Um, but I also have a family now. And so that also is a mitigating fact. Like it's like I get up in the morning and I got to make breakfast for my kids and I got to get them to school. And there's just like, there's no, like that's, there's, and they're going to be asking me questions and I, I'm gonna have to ask answer them, you know. And so there's no there's no um, so in it's in a weird way that's nice. Like I don't like I get up in the morning and I could be worried about all sorts of things that are happening in the company, but like and then but then there's like this period of like an hour and a half or something where I'm just sort of like I'm on duty getting them dressed and stuff, and like it like it clears my mind in a nice way. So like I so there's like these hard islands where like I can't. Where the anxiety doesn't even really intrude because, like, I got, I'm so, I've just got like these like <laughs> little weirdos like asking me, <laughs> you know, all, like in my face all the time in a way. But, yeah. but does it ever like uh, muddy the waters in the sense that, oh my gosh, if this doesn't work out, then these little kids, their future is in question? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, how I don't much mean can, to scare you. No, no, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, of course it does. And, but like, I don't know. I don't feel like, in terms of like uh, the many ways you can be fucked as a person in the world, like the way I would be fucked if this didn't work out is like I'm still pretty fine, you know. Like I'd probably find another job. They'd probably be employable, you know. Mm. Like I'm not worried. I'm I'm less worried about like. I mean, it would be a bummer. Like I could like if it works out well, like my kids will be set up, you know, for life. And if it doesn't work out, then my kids will have to like take out student loans, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so that's a bummer. But like, um, but um, no, I'm more worried about like the people here. I think in terms of like what who I really worry about. Like, I feel like my kids will be fine. Well, so so let's talk about that. How does someone here uh, impress you? How do they, you know, given that now you're building up. Almost, I don't want to say a corporate hierarchy, but you have to be with 70, 75 employees. How does someone kind of stand out? What do you What do you look for? Oh, yeah, we're definitely building up a corporate hierarchy. We have to. Like, that was another thing that I learned. I was, like, very against hierarchy. I was like, it's flat and we're all flat. And then, like, people don't like that. People want to know who's my boss. And especially, especially when, like, skill level isn't flat. There are beginners. There are very, very clearly like people who know what they're doing when it comes to building a story on audio, and people who are just starting to know what they're doing. And like the people who are just starting to know what they're doing, they want to. They don't. It's really, really like if they don't want to feel like they're in charge. You know what I mean? That's a really dislocating feeling for somebody who's like that because everybody feels like an imposter. And then if you are actually taking the person who already feels like an imposter and who actually would be an imposter like you know they don't have the skills that they need to like run a team or something and put them in a position where they feel like they have to run the team it's like really like people want that hierarchy that was the thing that i realized and so and so how and so somebody... we so we we so we have have a system now where everybody has a boss like we we are we are very very firm like who, he, you everybody knows like who their boss is uh 
and you know we're getting to the point where everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing to be doing a good job that's come a lot later but like we're getting there um and we're not there completely like there's still definitely pockets of the company where it's like a little unclear what you're supposed to be doing to be doing a good job um to to stand out i mean i think it's hard like it's not like you want to like so the hard numbers in podcasting are audience so like if you make a show that lots of people listen to you know that's one surefire way um but like there's so much more than just that um for people who are sort of like are in the editorial roles here like we want people who can sort of take who can work well with lots of different people and can sort of like lead them you know can be like a good leader and that I, like obviously not every i mean sometimes people have to learn that skill like what yeah what are the skills of leadership again and i'm, I'm this asking is like, like this, really broad the, questions, no no but, but I, and i feel like these are the, this is like that admission are like these two words that i use all the time that it just always struck me as just like such bull, corporate bullshit and now it's like all i think about but, it but, but like, i think that's because though maybe 95 percent of the time that people do write about these things it is sort of bs yeah and yet they are core concepts it's of running a business incredibly important because like that's the thing about scaling that is the hardest thing to scale is leadership and like you can't as as you like I could run a team. I ran, you know, sort of like I was the boss at Planet Money. And that was a team of like whatever, from, you know, six, eight people. And I was the editor and I like figured out how to run that team and it was fun. And and I knew what I was doing and that was fine. I can't be the boss of 65 people. So we need other bosses. And like those other bosses have to be really good at running their six and eight people teams. And they have to like have... A good set of skills and what that means is they have to be like i think good leadership is like leadership where you're sort of inspiring people um to want to follow you um and you're not like compelling them like they that you're you're actually you're supporting them and you're making them better and you're inspiring them and i think that's what that's what good leadership is and it's really rare. It's really rare to find the people with the right mix of sort of temperament and skill set and desire. And, and by the way, it's not just that the boss inspires the employee. The employee stands out by inspiring their coworkers or their boss or whatever. Yeah. Like that's how people stand out. Yeah. And so what's, yeah. what's like an inspirational tool? I, I, and I think you touched upon it before, but I'm, I'm curious what you see as what, what's an inspirational tool people have that they can use. I mean, from a leadership perspective, like yeah. people who are in leadership positions, I think people, um, um, well, I think being good at their jobs is like helpful. Like, I think people want that. I think, um, and I think, I don't, I think listening is really important. Like, I think to me, if you, if you are like, if you're good at your job and you listen to where people are and then you can sort of like listen first and then sort of like, make a decision based on sort of like the feedback you've gotten from the various people and then that, that decision resonates with people i feel like that's you're halfway there like that's a big part of what you need to do um is to like because then people feel comfortable with your leadership they feel like okay you've, you've heard them and then if you make the decision you make it pretty firmly they feel like they can trust you with the decision 
And if you have demonstrated that you're pretty good at your job, then they feel like they can trust you that you're that you're going to make the product better. Um, and then beyond that, I think people who um, make it feel fun to be doing the work, mm. who have like who, and I think that comes from like enjoying it yourself. Um, so I think I think a good leader is somebody who's like is excited about the thing we're making and can like sort of share that excitement as well. So there's some there's some element of authenticity. Yeah. You mentioned um resonating with the people that they're communicating with. I think that uh calls back to your point about uh, the other cliched word which is vision. Yeah. Like if you all buy like let's say you're running Crime Town. Yeah. You're buying into this vision that this is an important story and an exciting story to tell. So yeah. if somebody is says, well, we're at this plot point where we're not sure how to continue, if you suggest uh, an exciting next step because you because you're curious and you're fun and it feels authentic to you and everybody says, oh yeah, that's exciting, then you then it is resonating with yeah with the people. Yeah, I think the other thing is sort of like is also just like not being afraid to. Um, to not know, I think. I think, like, I feel this way. I, I know other people feel this way when they're in leadership. Is that like you? You feel like, oh, I'm a, I'm, I'm the boss now. I have to like, I have to be the one who decides what to do. And if I don't know what to do, I have to just pretend like I know what to do. Um, and I don't. I think sometimes that's right. Like every once in a while, you've just got to be like, we need a decision here, and like, I don't. Like there's time pressure, and I don't have all the answers, but I just have to make a decision. So I'm going to make a decision. But oftentimes, like I found, it's better if I don't know. Like it's better, and people will respect me more if I just keep on asking questions to try to figure it out, rather than feeling like pressured to make the decision. Um, that actually works in your favor. Um, so I think question asking is is critical at every level. It's so critical, and I, I I read this management book. Uh, it wasn't a management book. It was by it was this book. It was a. Uh, it was my book that I wrote. <laughs> it was not your book. I'm sorry to say it was a. Uh, it was uh, better, stronger, faster by Charles Duhigg. I don't know. If oh you yeah, read yeah. It. yeah, yeah. He's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he has this thing about Google, and he was like talking about like teams and like why some teams were always like how you get productivity out of great teams. And he was sort of looking across at the research, and like there wasn't like there like it was really confusing because like all these different teams had such different ways of doing it, and like they all were functioning, and like there wasn't really there didn't really seem to be any anything in common with like some had sort of like very very rule bound leaders who the the teams respected and some had like the really loosey goosey leaders who the teams respected and some had like weird mixtures of everything but the thing that like that seemed like most of them had in common was that like everybody who was at the meeting got heard from mm. um which i i have found to be really true and i and now i've taken that to heart and i try to make sure that every meeting i'm in i try to get everybody to like talk at least once um and I think it just it's a simple thing, but people want to be heard. And like a lot of times they have a good idea. And I feel like everybody has had this experience of like being a smart, functional person inside an organization where you're not the boss, you're not the beginner, you know what you're doing. And like you can feel in your guts when management's making a mistake. <laughs> and what do you do then? And you don't, and like, and like sometimes you don't have anything to do because you, you don't have, a, I've, I felt that all the time at this American Life. Like, that's a mistake. But I don't know, whatever. It's not that big a deal. And it's like, it's Irish show or whatever. You know, I'd, I would feel that. 
And like sometimes I would go and talk to him about it and sometimes, but sometimes it was like, for whatever reason, or it wasn't just a diet, but sometimes it was like, I felt this way at other places all the time. Like, and you, there was no way to go and share your feedback with the people who you knew were making the mistake. Um, and uh, so I think about that all the time and I want to try to design like, and so like a lot of times if you, the person who, some, a reason for being silent at a meeting sometimes is that like, you're like, this is a mistake, but you're like, well, everybody else seems that like, seems pretty committed to it. So I'm not going to say anything. And a lot of times, like when you just get that last person to talk, they'll say something that's like completely different than what the meeting, and it's like exposing a gigantic blind spot that was just happening all around you, you know? So it's really, really helpful. I found it, it's like one of the best things I've read in a book. Just like make sure everybody at the meeting talks at least once. So so I want to, um, because I'm obviously doing a podcast as well, yeah. I really want your opinion on just tactically what's where's podcast heading like is it going to be in every car like what's what what do you see as the next uh, horizons on the future well uh, i mean there's a bunch of things i think i think we i i don't think i think we're in a transition right now of how we consume podcasts i think it's go, it's gone it's going and it will continue to go from like sort of like a thing that like people download to their phones and listen and subscribe to to a thing that they listen more a la carte um what do you mean by a la carte like I think in the early days of podcasting, you would subscribe to a podcast and then every podcast that would come down your feed, you would listen to and there, there wasn't as many to choose from. And so like, well, that, was, that was easier. And, and I think podcasts, like I got used to that, sort of like assuming that like we were in a feed and then, like, like everything that we put out would go to somebody's phone and they would listen to it. I think that is not necessarily true. Now that there's more podcasts, I think people are like sort of like, does this topic interest me? I'm going to listen to this one. I'm not going to listen to that one. So it's not like they're going to listen to every episode of like Startup or Reply All. They're going to listen to some. And we st we're starting to see that in the data a little bit. Like it's mm. like lumpier than mm. it used to be. It used to be pretty much like there wasn't that much variation. And uh, and I think we're starting to see more and more variation now between certain episodes. Um, streaming, people are just going to start streaming more than like downloading. Um, and, I th and I don't know what the delivery mechanism is going to be like we've got the google home we've got amazon echo we've got like connected cars so right now the primary delivery mechanism is the phone um it'll continue to be over the phone but it's going to also come in different ways now as these other other technologies and platforms come on board so that's going to be a thing that's happening is it gonna um what's the future of radio like in the car will on the dashboard will podcasts replace or be equal to radio i think so i mean i think it'll be like yeah, I, I I think so. It would. I don't know if it'll be called. Yeah, I think it would be like, it'll be like an. It'll be like yeah. I think it'll be podcasts um, on the dashboard along with live radio, um, sort of the same way there's like on demand, sort of like the same way there's like when you on a flight there's like the satellite TV and there's like the on demand programming and you can choose. Um, uh, I think, um, and then formally, programmatically, I think there's like an explosion about to happen in podcasting. Like, I think for right now, it's a lot of chat shows, it's a lot of interview shows, it's a lot of like, um, and I think that's going to start to like, I think they're going to get a little bit more, more produced. I think they're going to like start entering a bunch of different categories. Um, I think there's going to be new genres of podcasting that come along. 
Um, like, what do you mean? What would be a new genre? Reality shows. Hmm. I bet you there'll be reality podcasts. Startup. The first episode of Start. The first season of Startup was essentially a reality show. Yeah. You know. Um, I'm seeing uh, like some game yeah. show podcasts. Game out show there. podcasts are out there. Um, and there have been like NPR had some game show podcasts, but I feel like, um, but like, yeah, there's going to be more of those fiction for us. Like, you know, we, we launched a show homecoming, which was, you know, which was big, which is a big hit and super exciting. And like, I feel like that's, we want to do more and more of that. I can't even, I honestly, like, I'm not a consumer of, of that type of audio content. I sort of feel like if I'm going to listen to fiction on audio, I'll just get an audio book of a good novel. Yeah, you can, but I feel like, and, and like a great fictional podcast could resemble a good novel as much as it resembles a good TV show. Mm. Like I think, you know, as like we've now been involved in trying to make them, and like you need a narrator because you don't have a camera, <laughs> so you need somebody to like set the scene for you, and often that's a narrator. Uh, so it's really hard to make an audio podcast without a narrator. Um, so which makes it sort of automatically a little bit more like a book, mm. um, but you can add scene and you can add dialogue and you can add acting and you can add all the stuff that like most audiobooks don't have and you can really enhance that experience so so if you like a good audiobook like you will like a, a good audio podcast better you and know fiction you, podcast are you a, a consumer of podcasts like do you other than your own oh yeah Absolutely. So, what are your what are your like uh, five favorite podcasts out there? And you don't have to mention the James Altman. Uh, <laughs> um, what are my five favorite podcasts out there? So, I still listen. I mean, there's a bunch of the there's a bunch of the old my old my old crew that I still like. I still listen to American Life, and Planet Money, and Radio Lab, um, and all that sort of public radio universe. Uh, I'm I'm really I find myself consistently coming back to Another Round, which is this uh, show on BuzzFeed. It's hosted mm-hmm. by Tracy Clayton. Um, and, uh, and, um, having to got to, and it's like, it's like, um, I just love them. I, I just, they're just like, a, they're just like this really great duo. They, they got this great energy. And What's I, it about? I, I don't it's know. It's like, it's a, it's an interview show and, the, and they have like, it's a, it's a sort of a, a more produced interview show. Um, it's hosted by two black women and it's about like, it's like, it's, it like, it touches. It's like a lot about like sort of black culture and 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 society and politics. But it's like, um, they're just like. But they're it's so they're so fun together. That like I, feel, I find them so funny, and I feel like they're just and it's just really smartly produced. It's really well paced. It's just really good. It's a great. It's a great episode. It's a great. It's a great podcast. I I, I come back to it over and over again because I just I like hanging out with them. Um, let's see what else. Um, I love Dust Town. Um, uh, there was a I, I go through like these little binges. Like I was really into. Um, there was a period of where I was like listening to the A16Z podcast for a while, uh, which is the that, that's because you were the, also really, really that's a venture capital podcast. You're yeah. very, very very interested in business. Yeah, startups. I was really interested in business startups, and so it was like that was like very much like right up my alley. Um, and there, I've done that now a couple of times. Like we there was this. Uh, um, there was a podcast uh, called I think it was it was not it was by the woman who wrote Quiet. It was the book about Susan Cain. Susan Cain about like introverts, and she had a podcast that I can't remember now what it was called. Crap. Um, but it was like it was all about like parenting introverted kids, and mm-hmm. and my son is like sort of like a pretty pretty classic introvert, and it was like just really helpful to like oh. 
here's what's going on with him. And like she had all these, and it was like super like news you can use, but I just found it really helpful. And it like changed the way I parent a little bit, you know, and in a really great way. Um, so like there's that use case, which is great. Um, what else? I'm, I feel like I'm missing some, I gotta look. NYC just launched, launched this podcast, Nancy, which is really good. It's like sort of an LGBTQ podcast. The hosts, again, are great, super, super entertaining. And do they bring um, on other guests? They or? bring on other guests. They tell stories. Um, uh, it's really hard to bring on uh, uh, good quality guests consistently. Yeah, it's like, really hard. Like, what's, what's the, I mean, if you, well, I know for myself, when I ask, you know, 20 guests, one will say yes. Yeah, and then the others all pursue over years, not like days or weeks. It's like yeah. over years. It's hard. The Daily. I mean, like I think the New York Times is doing a great job with the Daily. I don't know if you listen to that. No. Anyway, Alex Bloomberg, congratulations on the past two years of Gimlet since we last Thank spoke. You. <laughs> I mean, when you first when we first spoke, it was just startup. Yeah. Now, how many shows altogether? Now there's like we have like ten shows that we've put out. We've got a bunch more that are coming. Um, we've got at any given point, we have like five to eight active that are up like there's a lot of our shows are seasonal so it's hard to say exactly how many shows we have at any given moment but like um right now we have i think five that are in production or about to be in production and are you excited about all of them yeah absolutely no i think that's the that's Is this your dream come true that's even the key though it's, but it, <laughs> is to be excited i don't want to like i feel like i hope that i can always be excited about the shows that we're putting out you know, I think that's like... But also the business aspect, because now, yeah. again, you're a business manager as well as just a storyteller, just... Yeah. Well, no, but I feel like from that point too, like I think that's like, I, I, I feel like I'm excited about the shows, both, you know, creatively and from a business perspective. And do you like being an entrepreneur compared to being an employee or, or an employee in the way you were before? It's a dumb kind of question, but it's sort of the, the basic change in your life these past few years. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love right. it. I, I'm like, I, you know, I, 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 I hope I'm, I hope, I hope I'm good at it. But I, I, yeah, I love it. I love it. It'd be, it, it would be hard to just go back to working at a job after, after this. And I'm not exactly sure why, but I think it, it would be hard. I think, I think both of those feelings and, and the uncertainty of both of your answers is, is always the case. Uh -huh. Like you're always hope you're good at it because you never fully know. And the uncertainty of what it means to go back to a job, I think, you know, never goes away. It's yeah. just like the uncertainty of why you wanted to leave. Yeah, so. and it also feels like as a, if if you're if you're an entrepreneur, it, like as if you're successful and the business is growing, your job keeps changing on you. So yeah. like the job the at the beginning when we were trying to raise money was different than the job after we'd raised money and we had like six people, which was different, and after we had fifteen people, which is different now. And I feel like if we go to the next phase, it's going to be a whole different thing. And I'm going to have to have a come. I'm going to have to not just send out emails every quarter, but I have to like come up with all sorts of communication systems. And I'm going to have to. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's going to be a. It's going to be a whole different thing. I will tell you one other different thing about being the boss. Last my last point, which is like something that I never even thought about, but like. I I I try to shave more regularly now, because not because like I feel like I have to look. But I'm. But now I'm worried. Like, if I show up and like unshaven, is that gonna make people think like, oh, he looks like he looks like hell is something going wrong? Huh. And I just feel like, and I was, and I asked my wife. I was like, do you, do you feel like that's being crazy? And she was like, no, I think you're. I think that I. She was like, I feel like when you know. <laughs> 
you know, my my co-founder Matt, you know, who she works more closely with, she's like she's like on the the business side, which is like sort of like his his side, and and she was like. I sometimes feel that. Like, if he hasn't shaved, I'm like, is something going on? So I was like, that's a real thing. And I know people have thought that about me. So I don't know. It's just like those kinds of things I never had to think about before, but I think about them all. It's like you have to think about what you're saying, even if you're not saying anything. It's very interesting how yeah. everything comes from the top down in every aspect. Yeah. Including shaving. Yeah. Yeah. You're just always, you're just, you're just always. You're, I'm always talking now, even if I'm not talking. I'm always communicating something, mm-hmm. um, just by the virtue of the position that I'm in. All right, well, Alex, yeah. let's, let's update uh, after you sell the company for a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks a lot, James. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Before you go, I wanted to just say thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed this podcast on iTunes. I really love reading these and thought it would be fun to share yet another review. Bernardo Bernal said, we listen to your podcast religiously, condensed food for thought, and the formulas to access the best in life. My family in Italy and Spain listen to you as well. Muchas gracias. Grazie mil. And Stan Dubin said... It's the questions he asks. Too many podcast hosts ask either vanilla questions of their guests or they ask the same ones over and over again. Very little digging, very little depth. James A. is different. Yes, he interrupts the guest a bit too many times, but I can live with it. Phew, good. I was worried he wouldn't be able to live with it. His ability to get in there and get several layers deep is worth five stars. So again, thank you for listening. Stan, thanks for that review. Bernardo, thanks for that review. Anna Scheinman, Andrew Roan, the Unicorn Queen, Soul Surf Recovery, and every other person out there who is listening and sharing. I really, really can't thank you enough for your ongoing support and reviews. Thanks. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.